The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about The Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good morning. Good to see you guys today. I, I know a lot of us wake up this morning with, with heavy hearts, um, with everything that happened over the night, over yesterday, with the storms and everything. And to open up the service today, I'd like to just pray for the people in Rowlett and also in Garland. So if you'd join me in prayer. Father, our, our hearts are heavy this morning. Lord, with um, the destruction and everything that's happened in Rowlett, for those who lost family members, for those who've lost homes, for those who've lost anything, Father, we come before you. You say to come before the throne of grace in times of need, in times of help, in times of mercy. Father, we come to you and we lift up those affected by these storms throughout all the communities, God. And we lift them up to you and we pray, Father, for love to overflow into their hearts, for peace, for comfort through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, more importantly, even that hope would rise out of the rubble. Father, be with them, bless them, keep them, give them hope for the new day. And God, I pray the church around that community rises up and helps with all that needs to be done. Father, we lift that up to you and we trust it in your capable hands. You are the sovereign king over all. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. I think uh, when you have nights like last night, it, it reminds us just, just how we're not promised tomorrow, just how fragile life is and that our life is but a vapor here. Um, if this is your first time with us this morning, my name is Trinity and I'm the family pastor at the church. Matt will be back next week, so I highly encourage you to come back if you're new. Uh, for us today, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. And um, if you're unsure where that is in the Bible, if you go to the first gospel, Matthew, in the New Testament, turn back three books, and there's a little two-chapter book by the name of Haggai. And Haggai was a prophet in the Old Testament. And before we really get started today, I want you to understand that today's message is a bit of a weighty one. It's called missional-minded or mission-minded. In other words, God has specifically called each one of us for something in life. He's given each one of us a mission, a task. He's created us to do something great for his name. And that's what today's message is going to talk about. So, like I said, we're going to be in the book of Haggai. And I call it Haggai today because I was talking to my wife and she was asking me what the message was going to be over. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, I'm preaching out of Haggai. And she laughed at me and said, it's called Haggai. And uh, so I went on the internet and looked up four to five different pronunciations, and every one of them were different. So we're in the book that starts with an H and ends with an I today, but we're going to call it Haggai. But before we get started in it, it's going to be necessary for me to really build a lot of historical context behind why God decided to speak to this prophet. So when, uh, when the time of the judges in Israel came to an end, and God began to raise up kings for Israel. We all know that Saul came. We all know that David came. Well, once Solomon came and Solomon died, at that point, the, king, the Israel split into two different kingdoms. It split into the northern kingdom, and it split into the southern kingdom between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And with that, um, God had continued to raise up prophets telling the nations because each one of these kings just seemed a little bit worse than the other one. There was a couple of good ones mingled in, but for the most part, Israel was falling into apostasy. 
And God kept telling the nation through the prophets that I'm going to send you to judgment. In fact, through the prophet Jeremiah, he told them, I'm going to specifically send you to Babylon for 70 years. Well, the first time that one of the nations get carried away, it's the northern kingdom. And it's in 722 BC. The Assyrians come in and lay waste to the land and carry some of the Israelites away captive. A lot of them ended up staying in the land of the northern kingdom But the Assyrians sent their people in, and they become kind of mingled with the people there. So we have people that become half Jewish, but half Assyrian as well. So there's Judaism in the land, but it's a Judaism that's mixed with paganism. So after that, about 120, 130 years, something like that, the southern kingdom was doing quite well. They still had bad king. They had a good guy by the name of Josiah that ends up dying. It looks almost like Josiah is bringing some kind of revival, but... The people, their hearts had never changed because as soon as Josiah dies, the nation falls right back to where it was. And it's at that point that God sends Babylon into the land. And in 606 BC, the first wave of attacks come upon Judah, which was comprised of just two two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. Well, in 605 BC, one year later, was when the first wave of captives end up getting taken back to Babylon. And included in that, was a young man by the name of Daniel that we know a lot about. So now the nation is in Babylon. Well, they're in Babylon exactly like the Lord said. The Lord is always faithful to his word. They're in Babylon for 70 years. And around 536, 537 BC, King Cyrus, who was a Persian king, because Persia ended up coming over, coming in and taking over Babylon, gets raised up and he sends back to Israel the Jews that were taken captive I want to, you you guys kind of know me by now. I'm a sucker for prophecy. I'm a sucker for um, archaeology, stuff like that. So I have a few things I want to share with you just about this time period that's absolutely astonishing. Because what we're going to find out is King Cyrus actually has his name specifically mentioned in Scripture, written by the prophet Isaiah. About a hundred, scholars disagree. They say it's somewhere between 150 to 220 years before he was born. God calls him by name. Now, I want to read a couple of those passages to you. The first one is in Isaiah 45, verse 1 through 3. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to his Mashiach, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've grasped. Why did he grasp it? To subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places. Why? That you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. In other words, he specifically speaks to Cyrus. And then in Isaiah 44, verse 27 and 28, he says, He says to the deep, be dry. I will dry up your rivers. Remember that, I'll dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundations will be laid. So he specifically speaks to Cyrus about getting the Jews back to Israel 
that Israel be rebuilt and the foundations of the temple be rebuilt as well. Can you imagine Cyrus's amazement as he hears these prophecies? The, uh, the old, old school historian by the name of Josephus actually tells us that he was very aware of these prophecies. We're not exactly sure how. We assume that it was through the prophet Daniel since Daniel was around in those days, but Cyrus was well aware of his name being in there. And in fact, he can, I can only imagine as he's reading through it, and it's, it's talking about rivers drying up, because that is exactly the way he took over Babylon. He diverted the Euphrates River that flew into the city and came in that way through the bars, fulfilling prophecy that was written of him. Second Chronicles 36 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by mouth of Jeremiah and was fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. I'm sure that he did that through the word. I'm sure that as the prophet showed him, it began to stir Cyrus up. But it says, so that Cyrus made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms of the earth. And get this, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all of his people, in other words, whatever Jews are remaining in Persia, may the Lord his God be with them and let him go. So he releases the captives to go back to Israel at this point. Now, I want to give you a little bit of interesting archaeological history um, because there's there's a certain thing that was found in 1879 called the Cyrus Cylinder. It's this big cylinder made out of clay with writings in it. It was discovered in 1879. It was 2,600 years old, and it's known as the Cyrus Cylinder. It was found in old-school Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. But what it does is it confirms the biblical accounts of Ezra, Second Chronicles, Daniel, and Isaiah. And a statesman for the Smithsonian said this, when the cylinder was rediscovered in 1879, it immediately entered the fray of public debate as invaluable proof of the historical veracity of, de- of events described in biblical scripture. So often, the most challenged book in history becomes verified by archaeology, by every method imaginable. We can stand on the word. We see that constantly and constantly throughout history. God has done such an amazing work with this book, and it's often substantiated and confirmed in those ways. But Cyrus makes this proclamation. And he sends the Jews back to their homeland. So not only did he have a mission for Cyrus, for Cyrus to return them, he had a mission for the Jews as well to go back home, rebuild Jerusalem, and rebuild the temple. And for us today, I want to say that God has a mission and expects obedience for every person that bears his name. In other words, he's created us specifically to do something for him. And that's one of the most amazing things about our faith, that when we come to Christ, we find out that there is a purpose behind why we're here. And God sets in motion the opportunity for us to grab a hold of everything that he's called us to do and to do great, great work for his name. So they finish, this is how it happened. They arrived back at Israel. They finished the altar first. Remember, they've been in captivity for 70 years. They've been chastised. Well, as soon as they get back in the land, they rebuild the altar so that they can do some worship there. After that, they lay the foundations of the temple. But that's when the problem comes. The foundation is laid. The altar is done. But what we find out is that there was an enemy in the land. And this enemy were those northern tribes that had come south 
after Babylon had carried away the Israelites. And what it was, like I said, it was a mixed form of paganism and Judaism that came into the land. We know them by the name of the Samaritans. And it gives you a little bit of a clue as to why there were so much issues in the New Testament between the Jews and the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds. They, they called them dogs. Well, the reason is it all tracks back to this point. It all tracks back to the fact that they opposed the things that Israel was doing when they got back into the land. In fact, they rose up statesmen and hired counselors to influence the local officials to keep them from building the temple. They didn't want it to return to its former glory. And unfortunately, they succeeded. For 16 years, the temple wasn't touched again. Altar was there, foundations were there, but for 16 years, no more work was done. So what does God do? He raises up Haggai the prophet to speak to his people. And that's where we jump in today in Haggai chapter one. So let's see what the Lord says to his people. First thing you're gonna notice is Cyrus is no longer king. It's been 16 years. Now we have a guy by the name of King Darius that's in there. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, now for us, that's June 1st. I'm gonna refer to this as June 1st just to kind of help us out. That's not what it's called for the Jews, but for us today, it's June 1st. So June 1st, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So they say it's not time to rebuild my house. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So he specifically gets Haggai to go to him and say, listen, you're saying it's not time to build my house, even though that was the reason you were let go. But you're saying it is the time to build your own home. Now we know the reason why this happened. When Israel entered into the land, the Samaritans were there and they stopped, they thwarted the, word, the work of God. But God isn't upset here with the Samaritans. He's upset with the Jews because they're not doing what he's called them to do. Anytime we go to step up and do the things that God has called us to do with whatever gifting that is, whatever area of the world, whether he, he has a work for us in different places. He has a work for us at home with our kids, with our wives. He has a work in our workplace to be a light in the world. He has a work for us here in this house as one to do. He has a work outside of this house as a church for us to do. There's always something that God has called us to do as a mission, but it takes perseverance to continue in God's mission because as soon as you step up to do that thing, the enemy is gonna be there to try and thwart you from doing that in which God's called you to do. But God is always gonna remember the things that you've done for him. In Hebrews 6.10, it says this, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. And the love that you have shown for his name, how? In serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to, sh to show the same diligence or the same perseverance to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish or lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we're saying God, God's not gonna forget the things that you've done for his name. God's not gonna forget the work that you've done in serving the saints for him, but continue the work. Perseverance is needed in order to continue the work. And, and more oftentimes than not, it, it just takes one thing to completely derail us. 
When we stop pressing forward in God's mission, when we stop moving towards the thing he's called us to do, we become more concerned with our own mission, with our own things. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Israel. They were called to go in and rebuild the house of God, but as soon as the enemy stopped them, what did they do? They turned and they started pursuing their own thing. God says, it's not time for you to build my house, but it's time for you to live in your paneled houses. They were living in luxury and in comfort while the work of God just laid dormant. I know so many Christians in their Christian walk that started off red hot for Jesus. I mean, you had to pull the reins back to keep them from serving because they wanted to serve everywhere. And when they went out into the culture, man, they were a shining, burning light for everybody. But then something came in, whether it was church hurt whether it was difficulty in some area, whatever it was, and completely derailed them. And for years, maybe five years, they've laid dormant without pursuing the things God has called them to do. And while God would have taken them to so many places at that point, they've remained in the same place. But the great thing that he says to Israel throughout Israel's history is even when I send destruction or even when I send the locust upon the land to devastate the crops and you lose years, he always has the promise that I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. And God will restore the things in our life. If, if, we, if you've been derailed, if something has pulled you away from your pursuit and serving or whatever, man, God will restore the years the locust has eaten. Let that be a comfort to you as you decide over this next year and over some coming New Year's resolution to pursue again the things that God has called you to do, both here in this house and serving one another but also out in the culture as well. But God has gifted us, each one of us in Christ. He's gifted us and will hold us accountable for anything he's entrusted to us. And we, we think through the, uh, the parable of the good, or not the good Samaritan, the parable of the talents. When God gave to one, one talent, one five, one ten, when he comes to ask them how they did with it, the ones with five and ten and doubled it, and he said, good job. But the one with one, he, he didn't do anything with his and God took it and gave it to someone else, he, he expects us to be good stewards of the gift he's given us. And like I said, we're told in 1 Corinthians 12 that every single believer, everyone in this room, everyone in all Christianity that names the name of Christ that is a believer has been given some gift in order to bless others in this house. And God, we saw, didn't rebuke the enemy in the nation of Israel, but he rebuked the nation for not following through with what they were called to do. Verse five, it goes on to say, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, speaking to Israel again, consider your ways and think about what you've done. You've sown much, well, it, consider your ways. You've sown much, in other words, you've planted much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages or he who's making his push to make sure that he's taking care of the things that need to be taken care of financially, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, as soon as the money comes in, it's just going right back out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Notice it's the Lord that's doing this. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. 
Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land, and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. So this was specifically something that God did. As soon as the Israelites stopped building the house of God, instantly the blessing of Israel moves away. You have to understand the covenant that was given to Israel. It was kind of what we would call a prosperity type of covenant. As they obeyed God, as they did the things that God had asked them to do, God would bless them. He promised to bless them with a land flowing with milk and honey, with houses they didn't build. In the New Testament, it's a little bit different. In the New Testament, it says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But when we think about the drought and the things that God brings, when we don't pursue what God has asked us to do, whether it's in this house or away, the drought that we see more oftentimes than not is like Amos 8.11 where it says that there's, I'm going to call for a famine in the land, but it's not a famine of food, but it's a famine of the word of God. And we see so often as we pursue our own thing that we begin to dry up spiritually in our, in our walk with Christ. So it's important that we continue to pursue the things God has called us pursue, to pursue. God withholds his blessing when we pursue our own mission. In Haggai chapter two, I'm gonna read verse 15 to 19 because he's gonna reiterate the same thing. He says, now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple, in other words, before you started the work, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. I called this to come upon you, but it didn't wake you up. You didn't come back to me. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month. Notice it's the 24th day of the ninth month. So it's September 24th at this point. There's been three and a half months between when the word first came to Haggai. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But he said, since the the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, until now, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. Nothing has been blessed in all the things that that you've done. You've been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing your own thing, and I've withheld the very comfort you were looking for. I was withholding from you this entire time. Reminds of of Matthew chapter 6, when when Jesus is speaking and he says, you're so anxious, you're so worried. You're worried about having enough food. You're worried about clothing. Have you considered the birds of the air? Have you considered the lilies of the field? They neither they need their plant nor harvest, but God takes care of them. He says, you have little faith. If you'll pursue first my kingdom, my mission, the things I've asked you to do, and my righteousness, let me continue to change you and work on you. That's when he says the blessing comes. If you pursue those things, then he'll bless us. That is the point behind what Jesus is saying there. But the Israelites, they were content to let the cause of the Lord suffer at the expense of their own. And in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what did they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They were brought back to a place of obedience. 
And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. In other words, that sense of awe and respect and wonder returned to the people of Israel at that point. It says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, and this was the Lord's message at that point. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So there was a 23-day delay between the word first coming to Haggai And for them actually to get going with things. What happened in this 23 days, we're not really sure, but we can speculate that it was probably a period of fasting, a period of prayer, a period of reconnecting with God, and then they obeyed the voice of the Lord. But if you remember, when I went to read in the second chapter, it was already in September. It had been three months even after that before the work of the Lord started, before they actually got started in the temple. Maybe they were gathering all the... The, the lumber, whatever they needed to build it at that point, but it took three and a half months, essentially, for them to have the work start. But it took all the people united together. It said all the people came and obeyed the Lord. And God desires all to be united in working together to achieve his mission for us as well. First Corinthians 12, when Paul is talking about this, he likens the church to a body, the body of Christ, where Jesus is the head. He says, some of you are hands, some of you are feet, some of you are organs. You all play a different part in the story, but it all takes all of us working together and pursuing together for the body to function in perfect harmony. It'd be like me. Um, I have one hand here. It works really well. Um, I can do a lot with this hand, but if I was to chop three of my fingers off, I'd still be able to get some work done with like a claw action, I guess. I'd still be able to get some stuff done, but it's going to be harder. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. We're still going to be able to get stuff done. But when every one of us steps up and uses the gift that God gives us, then it causes the body to get more done and even faster. And everyone everyone is blessed in that. And not not just a few doing all the work, but everyone coming together and pushing ahead in what Christ has called us to do. But in that chapter 2, it says when everybody started doing that, remember he said, the, the pomegranate, the vine, they've yielded nothing. Well, at the very end of that, he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. From the day moving forward that you decide to do it, I am gonna bless you. The Lord gives his blessing and spirit when we pursue his mission. And we see the spirit start to just come alive in all the people of Israel at that point. So we see not when they started gathering all the stuff together, not when they purposed in their hearts to do it, but when actually stuff started happening in the house, that is when the blessing of God came. It's it's important to understand that. In Ephesians 6, verse 7 and 8, it says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do whether they are slave or free. In context there, when Paul's talking in Ephesians 6, he's talking to bond servants and talking to them about serving their masters well. But he goes on to switch it at the end to say, this applies to all people. Serve wholeheartedly as though you're serving the Lord. And what the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. He, his blessing becomes activated as we begin to do the things that he's called us to do. 
And like I said before, every single one of us have been gifted with something to use in the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11 says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received. So we've all received a gift. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides or his spirit. So then in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. God gets glory and praise when all of us work in harmony, when all of us come together and do the very mission that he's called us to do. That's my challenge for you as we come into this new year. When, you, when you're thinking about New Year's resolutions and things you're deciding to do over the course of the next year, remember what God has called you to do. If you're not sure what God has called you to do, seek him, seek counsel, pray over those things. But there's so much here at the church that each one of us can do. I, I know Matt mentioned the needs in our child care not that long ago. We, right now, we have an agency that comes in to watch our kids for us. We desperately need volunteers back there. It's almost like we're getting money, but it's leaking out through holes because it costs about 18000 a year for that child care. We desperately need help back there, and I ask you to pray specifically about that. But God has started such an amazing work here at the creek, and I'm so thankful that he's called you to partner with us in that. And remember what Jesus said. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I pray that you're receiving here at the church. I pray that you're receiving a good message. I pray that you're receiving worship that helps you to praise God. But understand, it's, you've received the blessing through your giving and when you step out to help more than when you receive. I want to read for you Philippians chapter 2 because the, the sermon today is titled Mission Minded. And I want to show you that that's exactly what Christ was. He was mission-minded. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Have this mind in you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours already in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality, equality with God as something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't use it. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on on the cross. So Jesus' mission was obedience to the Father and the very thing that he had called him to do. And he goes on in verse 12 to say, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you. It's his work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It brings pleasure to God when each of us become mission-minded, just like Christ was, and walk into the things that God has called each one of us to do. Don't let the enemy come to you and give you the phrase, somebody else is going to step up and do it. Don't worry. And he's called all of us. And just like Paul says in Philippians 4, it's not that I seek your gift, but I seek that more be given to your credit because of what you've done. He says, my God will supply all of your needs in accordance to his riches in Christ Jesus. And in in case some of you are thinking, man, serving with kids just doesn't sound like much fun, I want to give you a bit of a story from my daughter, Allie. Um, I don't know if she's in here, but she's probably sinking in the seat if she is. But anyway, 
When she was about five or six, so this was about five or six years ago, we joined a soccer league called Upward. And um, if you've never seen five or six-year-olds play soccer, it is awesome. You've got to see it, toddling around, missing the ball. It's fantastic. And somehow, some way, there was that one kid that was heading shoulders above everyone, barreling through the kids. He already had a mustache at five or six. Like, I don't get that. That kid is everywhere. But Allie, she's more of my butterfly watcher, dandelion picker, flower picker, that sort of thing. So the game's all happening around her, and she's just not getting involved. And I come to her one day, and I say, sweetie, sweetie, just once for me, just get involved in the game. Play. Play as hard as you can just this one time. I promise you, I will never ask you again. Well, sure enough, she gets in there. And man, she is playing, she is running, she is doing awesome. There comes this one point, she's about 30 feet from the goal. She lines up and nails a goal. I couldn't believe it. But at that point, she turns, it was just me and her on the field at that point. She turns to me and looks at me with this look of, that's what it's like? That's what it's like to play. That's what it's like to make a goal. I never had to once ask her again to get involved into the game and play. I know some of you are sitting on the bench, not getting involved in the game for good reason. There's hurt that you've been through. Maybe you're in a season of life that you just can't do anything right now, and that's okay. It's absolutely okay. But when we get involved in the game, when we get in there and we play, and we hit that first goal, Maybe it's some kid reciting John 3.16. Maybe it's one of the little ones saying that they love Gigi, Jesus. The same thing happens, man. You are lit on fire, and you turn to your heavenly Father, and you say, this is what it's about? This is what it's like to serve you? God has called us to do so much, and I'm so proud, and I'm so thankful for everybody here and all the sacrifice you've made through 2015 I challenge you that through perseverance, we charge ahead even more to the gates of hell. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that is new every morning. And Father, I pray over the congregation today. I pray that your spirit would brood and hover over them. And Lord, if there's anyone who's here that's not sure of what their gifting is, not sure of what that thing is that you've called them to do, that in that, life opens, blessing comes. Father, I pray through the Spirit you speak that to them, that you begin to plant a desire in their hearts for the things that you've called them to do. Not to do work in and of itself, but because through that thing, they find the very purpose that they've been put on this earth And we know we'll stand before you one day, Lord, and we'll give an account of that. Not of our sins, God, because our sins were judged 2,000 years ago on the cross. But we will stand before you to give an account of the work that we've done that you've handed to us. And I pray, God, that each one of us, through perseverance, knowledge, we push forward into everything you've called us to do. Lord, fill each one of these guys with peace, blessing, enjoy this morning as we go back out into the world and be lights for you. Father, may in every facet of our life, whether it's our home, whether it's our workplace, whether it's in the house of God here or moving out of this house as one, God, that we find the purpose in which you've called us for and we push forward into the darkness together, hand in hand, for the glory of you. 
Father, thank you so much for today and thank you for your word. We pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.